one thing that I was looking at your background. I was looking at all the work that you did. And I had several guests on that were like, have you had Victor on yet? Have you had Victor on yet? I'm like, no, no. So I just kept looking. Like, they keep talking about Victor. And I'm, you know. The, Who's saying that bad stuff about me? The best stuff. Uh, Chrissy. Chrissy Newton said. Uh, oh, right, uh, right. Speaks yeah. very yeah. highly of you. So I'm like, yeah. okay, well, naturally, I'm going to have to have him on. And after looking at all the work you've done, I'm like, how mm-hmm, do I? Mm-hmm. I'm still surprised I'm still meeting people at this point. Like, it's just oh, yeah, such a so huge. Oh, yeah, there's so many out there. So many. Uh, it, mm-hmm. But my question for you would be that, you know, we all have an origin story, something that clicked, mm-hmm. something that would make you from the, you know, 1975 till now mm-hmm. be obsessed with UAPs and the phenomenon of itself. So what was it that triggered it for you? The thing that happened to me was uh, almost synchronistic as well. I taught for 35 years, and but tw- 25 of those was as, a, as an administrator. And uh, during the summertime, I get to kind of just relax and just do nothing, <laughs> empty my head and try to relax as best I can. And during the period of time where I was a, a principal, the, politi- the political situation in education was quite stressful. So uh, I-, I found my refuge uh, in my cottage up north in uh, northern Ontario in Barrie and um, at that time it's like two months in July and August so you just go up there and you just relax completely so one one day I was shopping with my wife uh, at a mall in um, in in, in Barrie and she did her thing and I was I walked into a Kohl's bookstore and said you know it's a bookstore like Barnes and Nobles and all that and I was just meandering and I had no interest or had not been associated with anything related to UFOs at all whatsoever um, but I was walking through the store and look, I saw this book by, uh, it's called Revelations by Jacques Vallée. And I just picked it up and I started to paste through it. And it's not a big book. It's just a very thin kind of small, um, uh, you know, I guess nonfiction book. And I started to page through it and UFOs and this and planetary and extraterrestrials and consciousness. And I said, what the heck is going on here? I've never, this is really interesting. So I, I bought the book. And uh, at the cottage that, that summer, I read that book four times, Jason, um, uh, before I really got to figure out what, what, um, what Jacques Vallée was talking about. And uh, I started right at a, at a very ethereal level uh, about what this whole thing called UFOs was. And I, I became totally and completely obsessed by it. Uh, how long has it been going on? And, and why didn't the general public know about this stuff? And so that, that kind of uh, kick-started me with respect to the UFO issue in 1975. Then I became involved with MUFON, uh, got involved with different people in, with respect to the abduction phenomenon, and then got involved in, uh, in radio. Uh, here in Toronto, there's a, uh, there, there was a, pod, a radio program called Strange Days Indeed on CFRB here in Toronto. And I was on that program with Errol Bruce Knapp, and we did that program for close to 15 years. And as a result of all of that, I became uh, very, very uh, well in touch and, and acclimatized to the, the, the huge number of people involved in this issue. And as a result of that, it just got deeper and deeper and deeper. And then I realized that at one point, this wasn't about the, all these strange lights in the sky. And after about 10 years of all of this interchange, I got to realize that this was a political issue, extremely political. Uh, and so at, at that point, I sort of veered away from any kind of, uh, you know, UFO investigations with, you know, sightings and reports and all of that. So I really didn't do too much of that. But the deeper I got into the political aspects of this, I got to realize that uh, we weren't being told the full story about this whole thing. And that's what really kind of um, uh, kind of energized me with respect to 
um, telling the truth and how do you seek the truth and wh what is the truth? And uh, that, that became something of a very uh, compelling nature to me. And because I don't, as, as an educator, uh, you know, you have children in front of you and you want to display a certain um, uh, respect for the truth. And as soon as you run into lies and obfuscation and, and dissemination of uh, disinformation, I become upset and I stop and I think, you know, this, this is not right. We have to tell the true story about this. And as a result of that, I got to be really entwined with the whole cover-up issue and how it was being played out by the government. And as a result of that, I became a journalist, uh, an activist, or whatever you want to call it, to kind of um, be in touch with all of the really key players with respect to this issue. And it's just been a long, long journey of well over 45 years. And uh, I don't regret one minute of it because it's brought me in touch with a whole lot of great people people, first of all, and it's also brought me in touch with um, the essence of what this issue is to the human family. So those are the broader aspects of how I got involved in it. And now I'm dealing with the, the huge implications, the human implications of what's coming down the road and what comes next. So as far as the uh, report that came out last month, because I haven't spoke to many ufologists, I think uh, I had Mark uh, D'Antonio last week, and he's probably the only ufologist that I've spoken to uh, since the report has come out. So I was just curious as to your thoughts and opinions on that report. Um, did it fulfill everything that you thought it was going to say, or is there anything in it that uh, you were sort of surprised by? Well, as I, as I said to uh, a lot of people so far that I've been talking to with respect to this, both on the internet and with, with friends, uh, it was it's I look at the whole thing with respect to how the, the Pentagon released us uh, as sort of the best of times and the worst of times. Uh, we've been waiting for this situation, Jason, for uh, just about for, you know, well over 65 years for the for the government to actually acknowledge uh, the, this situation about the UAP phenomenon. And I I, um, I distinguish between disclosure as one thing and acknowledgement as another. Acknowledgement is yes, there's something out there. We don't know what it is, and we're puzzled by it. Just about, just you know, just like everybody else is, and so they did that, and that is something that every single activist, journalist, and uh, you know, you follow uh, for the past you know forty years, and we got that, and 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 we we need to be a little bit um, respectful and joyful about that because the government has acknowledged that the phenomenon is out there, it's real, and we have to contend with it. Now, the other side of the coin is the, the, the not so good news is they've been very, um, uh, you know, um, obfuscative, if I could use that word, about what they know about this. They've given us a little bit of dribs and drabs about the whole, the whole situation. So what they've done is they've looked at reports in a very, very narrow perspective from what, what was it, 204 to the, to the present time, whatever it is, so they've only looked at a very, very, or at least examined publicly, uh, very few of the UFO reports, which is 140, 144 reports. And it's a very narrow uh, perspective as far as the government is concerned. Uh, and our question is, have you forgotten about history since 1947? And even as, back, as far back as 1942, the documentation of the U.S. government and the Pentagon and all of the defense agencies that have been involved. Uh, have you forgot about all that stuff? So what, what's the story with that? Is, is this just a myopic view of what's going on? Is this all a little bit of dribs and drabs you're giving us? 
so the, so it's 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 both it's 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 great news that the government's acknowledged it but the fact that they're still kind of hiding behind this embargo of the truth and this hiding of, of what's really going on and that that concerns me greatly uh, and a lot of other people feel that same way who've been involved in this for so long so it's it's a very uh, it's a very good thing that has happened i don't want in, in any way in shape or form you know be down on it because we've wanted it for so long but the fact of the matter is there's so much more to this issue that the united states the united states government needs to tell us about and there's also the aspect of it's uh, the, the one really important thing i feel strongly about jason is that this is not a united states issue it's being framed that way and you know all the all the publications you know, nbc abc cbs 60 minutes has done a you know a whole kind of a piece on this with Luis Elizondo and everybody else. Um, it, it seems to be framed as just this is happening in the United States and it's, it's, there's nothing else to this issue. This stuff is going on all around the planet and the rest of the international community has an opportunity to weigh in on this in addition to the United States government. So there's a whole lot of factors in this in this release that really haven't come forward. And I think that the government, the Pentagon specifically, Department of Defense, needs to, you know, um, open up the books a little bit more is, is what I'm saying. There's so much more to this that we're, we're, that we're not finding out about. And I think that the big question is the media has bought into this very narrow view. And that's another thing that concerns me. The, the media is just dealing with what the government is saying. And, you know, we, we can't trust the government. We can't trust the CIA. We can't trust the NRO. We can't trust the NSA. They've, they've been lying to us for the past, you know, 74 years about a lot of different things. Why should we trust what they're saying right now? So they've got to be a little bit more forthcoming about what they're talking to us about and provide a whole lot more information about what they know about. And that is definitely something with respect to to the nature of uh, this issue, where it comes from, who they are, and who the others are. A good point. The one, the one point about it, I know that a lot of people can test our lease. A lot of people had issues with uh, their other classification. Instead of having mm -hmm. a UAP under that other, it's just, it really isn't mentioned, but it does mention that there's uh, some sort of phenomenon happening. It's just sort of shy of saying mm -hmm. extraterrestrial, you know, like, at least that's what I found about the report. Just shy of being able to admit it, but who knows what that does? Uh, geopolitically, what do you think are the implications of this? Oh my goodness, <laughs> do, do we have three hours? <laughs> the 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 geopolitical yeah the, the, that's why we're doing this I guess right. Uh, the geopolitical implications are just massive. Um, let me start with with one of the the, the big factors is is the, the whole idea of the technology that's behind uh, these craft. That it's not the only issue but it has implications globally for everybody. And the United States government and other governments who have been really kind of pinned into this thing for, the, for as long as the U.S. has, realizes that these craft, first of all, are real. They're not from, they're not from here. Underline that seven times. They're not from here. And anyone who wants to give you an, an argument or a discourse about the fact that they might be from China or Russia, they don't know what they're talking about. I'm going to say that flat out, okay? They, should, they have no idea. If they insist on that narrative, uh, just put them on the shelf and let them come back in about four or five years to catch up with the rest of us. 
The fact of the matter is these things are of off-world origin and they're using technologies that are so arcane and so far beyond anything that we have. Even our quantum physics, our scientists don't really completely understand um, the, the whole idea of the propulsion systems that, are, that these craft and these beings are using. These craft use a propulsion system that can allow them to travel at or beyond light speed. Okay, that's the first level of, of understanding. And then th that propulsion system or whatever they're using can also cause some sort of quantum effect that they maybe even, are you ready for it, travel interdimensionally. And I'm opening up all kinds of possibilities here and not saying any one is more important than the other. So that's one implication. The technology is there and our government knows about it. Or the government knows about it. They've been experimenting or trying to get at this stuff with all of the crashed vehicles that they've got. They're kind of nipping at the edge of anti-gravitic propulsion, so it, it, which could solve a lot of our problems. You know, if, if we look at why this stuff has been repressed, why these technologies have been repressed, is basically because the fossil fuel industry has a stranglehold on reality. And that the fossil fuel industry is so powerful that if, if the government were to utter the, utter the words anti-gravitic technologies and that we have access to those kind of anti-gravitic technologies, it would, it would collapse the fossil fuel industry overnight. So that's one big reason why technology is so important and that we have to bring this stuff forward so that the technologies can be um, enlightened or brought forward within the discourse of not just UAPs and, the, and, and extraterrestrials, but within the human context of if we design or if we can use these propulsion systems or this energy to our benefit within the planet, we have no alternative but to go for it because, you know, it, it bleeds into everything else with climate climate change and, and all the other things that are going on on the planet right now. So technology, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the important things as to why um, this Thing is globally important in terms of uh, uh, how the human family might benefit from it. And there, there are other aspects too, but that's that's the first thing that I, that I always want to talk about is with respect to the technology uh, of, of these craft. Which is huge. And the implications yes, even is. now, like just this summer alone, seeing everything's set on fire and everything's flooding. I mean, they're talking about global warming getting worse. Mm -hmm. So it's like global warming on one hand, and by the way, UFOs exist on the other so it's really strange times this summer. Mm -hmm. It really it is. is. Yeah. The world's on fire and UFOs are real, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a great way of putting it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you were talking about also about the ICBM missiles tempering. Right. Uh, you yeah. mentioned that in, in uh, the email that we were talking about. Do you want to touch up a bit on that? Sure. That, that's another aspect of what's going on, uh, not just res with respect to the, the, the tampering with or the shutting down of the, of the missiles uh, of the ICBMs. That's one very important part of it. Now, I, I just just a bit of a background on that. I have a very good friend. His name is Captain Robert Salas, and he was uh, a captain, uh, a, a, a deputy launch commander um, at Malstrom Air Force Base in, in 1967. He was 60 feet underground, and at that time, as as a young you know launch commander, deputy launch commander, uh, he was notified by his um, by his crew. 60 feet above him while he's in the bunker that this huge red glowing object was hovering over the over the icbms and the, his his security guards were going crazy what is this uh, you know we don't know what it is it's the size of a bus and uh he said just hold on a second don't do anything don't shoot at it don't do anything just stay with me so they called him back a, a few minutes later is it still there yes and and the second time uh 
I believe it was 12 missiles were actually shut down. Like they went to what he called a no-go situation. Yeah, and it happened. Uh, it happened instantaneously. The UFO took off, left the left the premises, and then the missiles came back online. Now this didn't just happen. Other uh, um, nuclear installations in the United States West, and there are signed affidavits by seven. Uh, uh, launch commanders um, that, that this did happen. These are signed affidavits. They, they, uh, they outline all of their situations, what happened, what time of day it was. Uh, not every incident was exactly the same, but the net effect of everything was their missiles were shut down by objects of, of unknown origin. And, uh, and that, that to me is a, is a very telling factor on the, on, the, on the basis of just what happened, okay? Let's leave that alone for a second. Uh, the other question is, why did it happen? And let's talk about who might be responsible. So it is our contention, many of us have the contention that these craft of unknown origin are um, kind of, um, you know, toying with us and, and saying, listen, you guys have got to get your act together and uh, you, you really can't be, um, using nuclear weapons because they will be, like climate change, eventually become an extinction behavior because each one of you um, was born with a, with a nuclear missile tied to your back as a, as a citizen. And we all were, you know, since the 1950s when I was born, uh, we all are, were born under the threat of nuclear annihilation. So we all are sort of tied into this. And any minute, uh, one of these things could go off, either by accident or on purpose. So I think that the the whoever these others are, the extraterrestrials, uh, it is my contention, and many others within the UFO research community, uh, that this is a signal to us that we have to relinquish the proliferation of nuclear weapons before they begin any kind of dialogue with us. So it's a sign in, in, in that way. So there's a, a two-pronged issue here. Uh, they have control over the, the, the nuclear issue because they can shut these missiles down at any given time. And second of all, it's a warning to us that we have to do something about nuclear pro, uh, proliferation and um, you know learn from it because we just cannot be allowed to use these things on the planet as a method of resolving our differences. And there's a third aspect to this that, that you can, you, I know you'll be fascinated by this because what seems to be coming down through some of the people who have um, expressed their, their contactee situation and what's come through the, the experiences and the abductees as if you, they're being told that, um, hey, you guys, if you don't get your act together with respect to nuclear weapons, you will not be able to leave your planet with massive, massive weapons with, of, of nuclear destruction. Uh, you won't be able to enter the space uh, above uh, either your geosynchronous orbit with, with uh, nuclear weapons on board your ships. You, you will not be allowed to do it. So what could happen, uh, Jason, is that we could, if we do ignore this warning, we could be quarantined on our planet, denying us the opportunity to leave the planet and be a space a spacefaring uh, community, if 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 we uh, choose to leave our planet with nuclear weapons on board our ships. So there's a there's a three pronged situation here with respect to the nuclear issue that most people don't really grasp. And I'm sure at this point in time, the media really hasn't picked up on this. So that's that's the next stage of, of acknowledgement that the uh, that the Senate hearings might discuss eventually if Mark Rubio and Mark Warner are successful in getting uh, uh, Senate hearings. Yeah, and nuclear bombs, nuclear warfare is the most serious 
topic is. there is on this planet. I mean, besides a volcano erupting, it's the most, you know, damaging thing we can possibly happen to our planet. I think it's stupid because I often said this, like pointing guns at, our, at each other's heads. That's all it is with these nukes. They're just meant to fall back down and kill us. That's all they do. That's right. It, is it, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's a serious malignancy that, uh, that we have to deal with. Well, human nature as well, because we, you know, the mentality of killing each other is the same as the medieval ages. It just got better weapons now to do it more effectively and do more damage than we mm. could. Yeah, nothing can compare to what, what happened with one or two thermal nuclear you know, detonations. It will just devastate, you know, 10 times, 50 times the size of what happened to Hiroshima. There's just no, there's no telling how big it could be, especially that's just one nuclear weapon. If, if many are launched, it could be a doomsday act with respect to the entire planet. Yeah. And you, you got a point there. If they're, if we're going to step up and uh, be part of the group, we got to start putting our differences aside and stop bombing each other. Uh, the uh, one of the things you were also mentioning as well, which I'm just going to skip to the the uh, the red hearing of the U.S. national security and the threat scenario, because the threat scenario we keep hearing about. And I'm still on the fence as to whether or not these things mean us any harm. Uh, I, I doubt it, because if they wanted to, I mean, the harm would already be done by now. Yeah. Well, if you take a look at it objectively, just, you know, standing back and not being someone who's invested in this issue. Uh, between the both, the, you know, the both of us. If you look at it just in sheer stark objective terms, uh, the fallback position of the United States government with respect to any external threat, any be it be it you know foreign or whatever, is always that um, the national security of the United States is being threatened. Look, look at terrorism, for example. Any country who's involved with, you know, um, launching either, you know, physical military attacks on any uh, American assets or even foreign assets within the realm of the uh, uh, the United States, NATO or whatever, uh, is considered a threat. Okay, anything that happens uh, with respect to a foreign adversary is a threat, and that's just the way the American military works. Uh, the, Marin, the American military has been since, I guess, the Bush, the Bush administration, uh, they have insisted on what's called the new American century. And if anyone really wants to find out how America found itself in the situation, they'll read the uh, documents with respect to the new American century by Paul Wolfowitz. And what they did is um, because the Soviet Union at the time collapsed in the, in the early 90s, it left the United States without any major adversaries. So they had to create, the United States had to create other adversaries and, 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 and terrorists were the other one, were the next adversary. So with respect to that, uh, they developed a foreign policy that said that we wish as the United States government, the, the most powerful now on the planet because the Soviet Union was not a major player anymore uh, at that time, that we will insist on what they called full spectrum dominance we will dominate the entire planet because of our might and right. And we will insist upon playing that role as the, the policeman of, of, of Earth. And so that's the, the kind of mentality that, the, that the, the military has, so that any external threat uh, will be interpreted as that, as a threat to national security. Now, put that in the framework of the extraterrestrial issue, you know how would they how would they come out otherwise you know their first inclination will be that extraterrestrials are in fact a threat because they don't know any different that that's that's why they're taking that position 
Now, that's one way of looking at it. So the United States is, I guess, selling this issue to the public, selling it to the media uh, through this UAP report. And right now, as it's framed with the United States government, it is, in fact, a threat to national security. They don't know any difference. They, they, they can't frame it any other way at this point in time. Now, once they begin to understand who the others are, who these extraterrestrials are and what they mean, they might eventually, false hope maybe, they might eventually realize that these things, because as you said earlier, they've been around for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, and they could have easily dominated any force on, on, on the planet. And they would have done so at, at you know, the drop of a hat. They haven't done it. The question is why? So there must be a benevolent or at least a, a neutral perspective on the part of whoever these extraterrestrials are. And I should make the point too now that, you know, we're not just talking about one extraterrestrial civilization. We're talking about a multiplicity of um, extraterrestrial civilizations that are out there. They're, they're, they're either a federation, a group, or they're individual extraterrestrial civilizations. So if any one of them had a, had a, um, uh, you know, a threat motive, they'd have done it long before now. So there's every reason to believe that the national security perspective with, with respect to a, a threat is, is a non-issue. And that's why many of us who are involved in this, especially the contactees, are sort of standing on the hill saying, hey, don't, don't, don't wave the white flag yet. We're not giving up to any sort of, you know, you know uh, threatening civilization. It's just not going to happen. And that's the perspective that most of us are taking on uh, on this particular issue. So um, th that's kind of the way it's being proffered in the in the in the media right now. NBC, CBS, ABC, all of them are are are, are taking the bait. They're taking the bait of the, th the threat scenario, and that's the only thing that they can really kind of say at this point in time. If they come out and use the word extraterrestrial, um, they'll be laughed off the planet because. Um, it's just not something that they want to do at this point in time. Now, the question is, when will the evidence really show that these craft are, in fact, a of extraterrestrial origin uh, and they're not of Earth origin? When will that kind of evidence come out? And that's what's going to lead us into what we call the, the, the Senate hearings that could happen as a result of the UAP report um, and also to the work of the Inspector General. So that, that's, that's the direction that we're heading. And we have to put aside this whole threat scenario and begin an authentic conversation of who these um, extraterrestrials are, who the others are, why they're here and what they want from us and what do we want from them. So that opens up a whole different uh, ideological uh, narrative about how we want to enter into a dialogue with, the, with these beings, because that's entirely possible. They want to talk to us and we want to talk to them. But the framework and the format for all of that discussion hasn't been set down. And I think there's a lot of organizations that are working towards that. Maybe we can talk about that at a future point, too. For sure. Yeah, I don't think, you know, the the big reveal is not going to be them landing on a political grounds. You know, it's not going to land on the White House lawn or anything like that. I think it's going to come from all of us. All of us just wanting disclosure to happen, all of us being mm -hmm. ready for it, yeah, or just no longer admitting. And you brought up a good point that you may have the media saying, okay, let's go into the UAP banter, but they're not going to cover the uh, uh, the abduction phenomenon, for mm -hmm. instance. Yeah. Which I thought, if you have one that's validated as real, saying that UAPs are real, then you can't dismiss the cattle mutilations, the abduction phenomenon they're equally part of this as they've always been. They're tied together. So yeah. if one is real, they're all real. 
Well, that's that's a great point because, as I said earlier, because if they do use the word extraterrestrial in some of their, you know, revelations, they've got to open the other parts of the story, which are in fact the abduction phenomenon for sure. Why are they, you know, why are they purportedly, you know, examining our our our, um, our, our cattle and with a cattle mutilation issue? Crop circles is an, is another one. There are so many. Um, tentacles to this situation and as soon as the united states government um uses the word extraterrestrial or off-world civilizations or however they want to frame it it opens up a whole new pandora's box about who these extraterrestrials might be what their agenda is why they're here and what they want from us and how they want to engage us are they concerned about us are they sending some sort of signals to us that you guys are in lots of trouble down there Look at your climate situation. You're, you're burning fossil fuels and you're engaging what I call, Jason, extinction behaviors. And you can we can go through the list of extinction behaviors and you could probably do it yourself without even knowing it. So that's what we're involved in. We are not involved in an outreach program into the cosmos to become benevolent beings to join uh, these extraterrestrials. We are involved in our own extinction. We are launching ourselves into it, and we can see it as it as it as it unfolds with climate change, with nuclear weapons uh, proliferation, with the amount of plastics in the ocean, with our use of fossil fuels. It just goes on and on and on. We are extincting ourselves, and I think any intelligent race who's witnessing this going on, I mean, they're seeing it quite clearly. They've got to step back and say, "What the heck are these people doing to themselves?" You know, you got to ask that question. Uh, and if, if they're as, as sentient as we think they are, and we are as less sentient as we as we know we are, I don't blame them for making some sort of commentary by shutting down our missiles and saying, wake up, guys, you're doing something that you're eventually not going to be able to, to control. So you better get your act together. So that brings us to the point of how will we engage as a human family uh, diplomatically? How will we engage these off-world civilizations in a, in a dialogue about, okay, what's going on? Like, what do, what are we missing here? You know, like, how come we're so wrong? <laughs> what is it about our human species that, that's leading us down all these roads to extinction? Can you help us? Can you do something? And that's where this whole diplomatic uh, initiative that several groups that I know of are beginning to initiate to say, listen, um, let's put aside everything else about the UAP and government knowledge and all of that. And let's try to put in place some sort of mechanism to, um, to to contact these these extraterrestrial civilizations and enter into diplomatic relations with them in some way. Now that sounds kind of funny because we're dealing with you know woo woo alien beings. Well, th that's not in fact the case. These are sentient beings, thousands if not millions of years ahead of us, and we will just be asking them questions about our own. Uh, situation and how they've got to the point that they are how did they eliminate their extinction behaviors what is it that brought them to a point that they can use energy to solve the problems that they may have had on their planets and can we use those 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 same kinds of uh, solutions on our planet and the other big question is jason uh, what other planets in the cosmos that like earth that may be like Earth, you know, 100 years ago, uh, like Earth right now, like Earth maybe a little bit more advanced. What other planets in our cosmos have these extraterrestrials engaged in the same way they're engaging us? We're not the only planet that they're visiting. So you have to consider that perspective, too. So the, there's so many things that and, and, and you've got to realize, too, that this is not something that the media is talking about. I'll bet you none of your listeners 
people have ever heard any of this kind of discourse on any of the, the major networks in Canada or the United States or even globally. So there's so many different issues to this that we have to really come to grips with to really understand the entirety of the UAP issue. Yeah, and even talking about it, you know, openly, honestly, like I wear all my emotions on my sleeve and I talked about it with everybody in my life. Like since I was a kid and I had, you know, an experience, I'd been talking to everybody candidly. And I find people open up right away when you're like, like hey, psst, let me tell you about my experience. Everybody's isn't strange. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like everybody has a story to share mm-hmm. that either they've experienced or their father or their grandfather, but it was profound enough that they believe that these people have had these experiences or they themselves have had this experience. Mm-hmm. So it, I still find it funny that culturally we all laugh at it. We're all individually like, say, hey, come here. Yeah. <laughs> let me tell you what I, let me tell you what I see. <laughs> and it opens up a whole new uh, level of, of discussion or conversation about people because I find, and, and I guess you do this too, uh, you've had the experience and say, as soon as you kind of open open the dialogue, open the book a little bit, Things just come out and a whole new discussion, line of discussion happens. People are open to this issue, much more so than they were, you know, eight or 10 years ago. And it uh, it seems that the, the level of consciousness about this is is a bit of a hidden thing. There are people who have come forward, like you and I, you know, we, we can articulate this at the drop of a hat and get our, as you say, you know, where our feelings, you know, And we can do that easily, but there are other people who are still very reluctant, but as soon as they find someone they can talk to about this, (laughs) the floodgates open. And that's what I'm finding with just about every, every person that I talk to that's new to this whole thing. I've had an old man once just, I was doing selling insurance. So I'm selling him his insurance. I'm typing away on the computer and we really hit it off. Like he was nice, big bearded dude. And all of a sudden I don't know where it gets really quiet and he leans in and he's like, I saw them once, you know? (laughs) Like oh no! The, the hair on my arms went up. I'm like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, I saw I saw their craft above a water, five feet above the water. I didn't see them, but so, so saw what brought this on? What, what brought it on? I have no idea. I never talked to, about him about UAPs. Right. I had nothing on. He just saw me, and because we hit it off, he said, "I saw them once." You know, like how the hell hmm. did he know that I was interested in in, in oh. this stuff? It just yeah. blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the things that you've done, uh, too, which you look into the RCMP, uh, mm-hmm. having a lot of cases, and I've dropped off my card once to the RCMP here in Chilliwack, and the girl behind the counter sort of sneered and kind of like hit a laugh when she saw MUFON and encatamulation abduction cases. And I thought, huh, how strange, because cops are mostly the people that end up in, in the reports. I mean, mm-hmm. you think about how many cases, and the RCMP is like our... FBI, in a sense, like they're the ones who would be called in to do all this investigation. Uh, as far as you know, this the opinion on the RCMP changed at all towards this? Not, not publicly, and that's something that, that that I'm looking into more seriously because I've sent notices to the RCMP. Uh, some of my, um, you know, my blogs I've sent to them with respect to what's going on right now, and I've also sent. Um, uh, how would you call it? A briefing document to the Canadian Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, with respect to defense. So uh, we know that the Canadian government has remained completely silent on this issue. Uh, and uh, and so has the RCMP. Now they do they do uh, have um, the Library and Archives Canada. I know if your listeners are familiar with that. If you want to go on to Library and Archives Canada, you can go to that site 
and there are 9,500 UFO files on that site. And they're listed in different categories. The RCMP is a category of, of, of uh, UFO reports. Uh, Transport Canada is another one. And there's, there's a third one that doesn't come to me right now. Uh, in any case, um, it's, it's, it, there's 9,500 files. So the fact of the matter is this is a hidden gem. The RCMP has collected hundreds of these files and so has the, the Transport Canada Department and the Defense Department collected files and as well as NORAD. So the Canadian government has a huge compendium of this stuff. And uh, the RCMP, they they've, they they uh, investigated the, uh, the the Stephen Mikulak case. They investigated Shag Harbor, and there's been no public um, uh, determination about what they found. They, they they do the report in a very austere and very objective and, and you know diplomatic way, but they they never really come out and say anything about the origin of the craft or what they what their sentiments are on it in, in a public way. Nowhere even close to what the what the Pentagon has done. So there's still a whole lot of room for Canada to make a move on this. There's still a whole lot of room for the RCMP to come forward. And, and I think at some point, if the United States government continues to do what they're doing with the Pentagon uh, releases and with the update that's going to be coming down in about 90 days, from what I understand, uh, I, I don't think the RCMP or the, the Department of Defense or NORAD, they're not going to be able to sit back on their hands and not say anything. So eventually the Canadian government is going to have to say something about this issue. Because other governments will too. The UK will do it. Uh, the, the French will do it. Uh, the, the the Belgian government will do it. The governments in Peru and Chile have already done it. They're falling in line. They know what's going on. And the Canadian government has re remained completely silent on this issue. And they can't do that for much longer. No, and I hope not. I would, I would have loved for Canada to step up and be the first country to go, hey, we have a problem. But uh, unfortunately, we always wait. Like even CTV, I've seen you on CTV, which is is, is good. Mm. I've seen you on, on several programs, but mm. even I find the Canadian media they they're always behind, especially on this news. Like yeah. they wait they wait till the waters have been tested before they mm. cover the subject. Yeah, which I find that they're never going to have that breaking news uh, covered. No, and, and whereby you know it, it, that's a great point that you bring up, Jason. Because if the Canadian uh, government one thing. But then if the Canadian media took the lead on this, because I have informed the CTV, as you, as you know, uh, Global Television, the Toronto Star, um, I've encouraged um, uh, The Current uh, here in, in, in Canada, which is probably the number one investigative uh, news, news, uh, news program in Canada, it goes coast to coast every single morning from 8.30 to, to about 10. Um, I've encouraged them uh, in a, in a way, no other journalist here in Canada has. And so they've got the information. And I know they've got it because I, I'm, I'm giving them information virtually on a weekly basis. And when I got the call from CTV to be on uh, their, their, one of their, their television programs and also Global TV, that was sort of an indication to me that, well, maybe the media is waking up here. But they only chewed off a little bit. They take a little bite and then they stand back. They take a little bite and then they stand back. They don't have the courage at this point in time to really take this thing seriously. And uh, with what I've given uh, some of the journalists at the Toronto Star and some of the journalists at the National National Post and the Globe and Mail and the Toronto Sun, uh, they have the information from me and they've got just as much, they've got just as I've got because I've given them the other five. So they got it all. 
Now, somebody sitting there with it on their hard drive with attachments, and all they've got to do is just begin discussing it. Because no one else that I know of in Canada is doing that, giving the media stuff that I'm, that I'm giving them. I'm not blowing my own horn here because uh, it's just not a fact. I know, I know all the researchers in Canada, they, they're just not doing it. So um, once the Canadian media wakes up and, and maybe has to be dragged by the, by the scruff of the neck into this issue, um, Canada could be a, a world leader on this, but uh, I'm not, I'm not going to hold my breath on it just yet. I, we're we're looking down the south of the border. Number one issue is, will there be Senate hearings coming from this UAP report from, uh, from the Pentagon? That's the one thing that we're looking forward to right now. Once that happens, it could be a completely different kettle of fish um, come next, you know, what, December or January of, of the following year. Yeah, I can only assume that within the next few years, more and more crap is going to come out. That's just going to add to this and make it more valid. What I would like to see is a, a nicer video, something that, um, you know, a little bit more tangible video evidence of, you know, maybe something clear that has been shot at by radar, because uh, I'm sure that exists. Oh, there, there's no doubt about gun, gun camera film in excess of what uh, you, you saw with the with the Tic Tac videos. Um, that that was FLIR videos, and they're generally grainy. They're not really kind of, um, you know, as, as as clear as we want them. There will be government, uh, Air Force, Navy, whatever, gun camera footage of these things in real life. Uh, there's no doubt that they exist. It's just a matter of uh, of, of these government agencies and these these military uh, forces saying, okay, here here's what we've got, you know, and that will lead into the whole question that I talked to you early, earlier about uh, that. There's no way that what this gun camera footage will show that they're, that they're, that they're Russian or that they're Chinese. Uh, there's just no way that that's even possible. So I won't think they would. And, and, you know, you know, if they did have that kind of technology, Jason, I mean, wouldn't they be using it in, in an offensive way against any of the, uh, in an attack mode? I mean, if the, picture that for a second if 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 the chinese had that kind of technology why would they bother hacking away in, in cyberspace uh, and to 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 uh, to knock out you know 1500 businesses in one day why would they do that when they'd have anti-gravitic technology that could wipe out <laughs> the united states in a second i mean it, it, it just doesn't make any sense at all and the same thing with the russians so it, it, the, the fact or the, 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 uh, the point of view that this is, uh, you know, Russian or Chinese is absolutely silly. And it's an overstatement of the, of the most grandiose uh, intellectual proportion. And it just cannot be something that the media can buy into. I'm afraid that they're going to continue that dialogue until something more, more egregious happens. Well, I'm worried, too, that the contactee uh, abduction phenomenon will be overlooked for quite some time yet. We're just going to address what's in the skies, not so much yeah. what are they doing over our skies mm -hmm. issue. Yeah. yeah. Well, the whole the whole contactee thing at this point in time, and I think if we introduce that 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 issue right now, it might be a little bit much for the general to do as as a stands right now that's going to be very problematic so we're going to have to feather this information into the whole dialogue eventually and get the public asking a question okay okay what are these craft where are they from and oh by the way i'm hearing something about this alien abduction thing oh do you really want to know and then that discussion will open up too 
we have to become ready for this discussion. We have to become ready for a, a dialogue about this in, in an open way. Within, you know, get people in restaurants and you know, going to work on buses and the subway in the morning talking about this. It's got to get to that level before the general public will assimilate the the idea of an off-world civilization uh, engaging the planet and, and and the people on our planet. But do you think that that's going to be still a very hard pill for so many people to swallow? Because, well, I mean, as, as a species, we're so selfish. Like, even myself, I cover this subject. But, I mean, if I was to be introduced to entities that don't have the same sense of selfishness that I do, it's going to cause some conflicts. I mean, we are a species that has a hard time accepting change, and much less when we're on the lesser end or the receiving end of the, you know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. technological advancement. So mm-hmm. being afraid to be cortez is really our biggest fear. We don't want to be mm-hmm. the ones that, you know, get smallpox or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I understand mm-hmm. the fear, but at the same time, we need to have that discussion. On this one here, I just want to address as well, because you had mentioned it through the emails that we were talking about, some of the talking points you wanted to. Uh, I do want to talk about Zeland Communications a little bit. Do you want to talk about uh, that a bit with uh, the listeners, just to explain to them what yeah, Zeland yeah. Communications is all about? Right, uh, Zeland Communications. Yes, I started Zeland Communications about 15 years ago. And um, the, the idea behind it was, um, because I was so involved in the radio uh, aspect of this when I first became involved, on strange days indeed, I, I got to know so many of the um, the brilliant researchers, you know, the Stanton Freemans of the world, you know, um, you know Grant Cameron and Stephen Bassett and, and Stephen Greer. And, and it, it, the, the lineup is just huge. Uh, Don Schmidt has investigated Roswell. And having interviewed all of these people, Paul Hellyer, for example, um, you know, men and women in this field, there's just literally hundreds and hundreds of them. And so I got to realize that their stories had a commonality to them. And it had a, it, it, it rang true with me in so many different ways. So instead of me becoming a quote unquote researcher, uh, which you, know, you could sit in your computer and, you know, look for this and look for that and, you know, uh, write certain things up. What I, what I thought would be a better idea for me as being a Canadian, that I didn't see any, um, uh, indication throughout Canada and even through the United States too and internationally I saw no organization reporting the news about this stuff literally going out there and saying what did Linda Moulton House say you know what did Paula Harris say what did Paul Hynek say uh, about this stuff and they they tried to make their own voice prevalent too in their own ways but they weren't getting the airtime that I thought so I, I designed Zeland Communications to be a news service, not a news agency, a news service that would encapsulate uh, all of these different points of view. So when issues came up, uh, either on the internet or through my discussion, Bassett is holding uh, at a citizen hearings uh, in, in Washington, D.C. in 2013 for five straight days. Don't you want to know about this? So, you know, that became uh, a news item. And, and, and rather than me just reporting on it and going there and talking to people, I made it a news item. And I keep on doing that all of the time with the issues that, that are current in the day. So that's what Zeland Communications does, is it highlights the, the, the hot news of the day. Uh, it could be you know weekly, it could be daily, it could be monthly. So I try to get that uh, information out in a responsible journalistic way. And I'm not hyping anybody. I'm not, I'm not trying to blow my own horn at all. Uh, I'm not saying that I, you know, I'm the top investigator in this because I'm not, 
But I, what I do know that I am, I'm in touch with the, the major players in this issue. And I think I have a responsibility to get that news out there. So that's what new Zealand communications does. And if people want to, you know, go to uh, just Google Zealand communications go to the, uh, go to our news blog and you can look at all of the, uh, the, the two or 300 news, news items I put out there. Also, editorials i sometimes uh, you know get up in a soapbox and talk about certain issues um you know and get to get a perspective out there i'm not saying i'm totally objective all the time but you you got to get your, your own point of view across at some point so i do that occasionally so that's what zeland communications is all about and we just hope that uh, people can plug into it because they're really they're, they're few and far between right now. Now, there are some right now that are becoming a little bit more um, aggressive in, in getting the news out, but there's a certain, um, uh, how can I say it? There's too much of a bias in some ways. So I try to kind of just, here's the news, you make a decision about it, and then do your own research, do your own homework on this. And it's, it's sort of an, uh, as an educator, that's the way um, I would teach a class of kids on something. Here's the information. Uh, I can teach you about it as much as I want, but you've got to make your own decisions about how authentic it is, how real it is, and what it means to you as, as a human being. So people have to decide about that. And that's what I'm trying to do with uh, with Zealand Communication. One question that I have for you as well, sir, before I let you go, is on the aspect of when somebody decides to devote their lives to something like this and to work something like this. It's not just you. It's uh, I, know, I know what you're getting at. Go ahead. Get yeah, yeah. So basically it's with family. It's just managing family life while yeah. you're managing the UFO things because there is, you know, there's a bit of a stigma to it and people are still on the reserve. So like, you know, my wife, she has friends and they find out and I always wondered, like, what, what, what do they think? Like, what's their opinion of, of my wife's uh, husband? Yeah, right. uh, so how do you balance that? How did you find that? Because you've been at this for such a long time. Mm -hmm. Well, oh, my goodness. It's a, it's a really good question. Um, well, first of all, um, when I started in this, I, I, was, I was a teacher, okay? And then after that, I moved into the field of uh, being an administrator within education. And... Um, I was doing radio at the time and uh, you're a principal of a, of a school, you know, in the, in the, in the biggest school board in the, in the country, in the Toronto Catholic school board. And word gets out that one of his principals are, are, is on the radio talking about UFOs. And I thought I'd get a lot of splashback, you know, uh, pushback because of it. I, I got literally none to be really honest with you. When I was on the radio, I go to school in the morning, uh, you know, Monday morning, I was on the radio, uh, you know, on Sundays, go to school in the morning. And some of the teachers would say, Oh, I heard you on the radio last night talking. About, oh, great. Fantastic. Um, good thing. Uh, I never got any pushback at all from my administration about it. Uh, I was front and center, but I would, you know, I wasn't standing up on my desk in the morning, shouting UFOs at the top of the school, uh, roof of the school. I wasn't doing that. I, I handled it professionally. And uh, so that was one part that I got over quite quickly. And then the, the, other, the other part of it was uh, within my referent group, you know, my friends and my neighbors and all of that, um, it was almost when they found out, when people found out that I was so in-depthly involved with this whole issue, rather than um, um, being skeptical about it and calling me a weirdo, it would... It, it, And I, I want to know more. So it, it, it drew them out too, much like you were saying about that insurance uh, situation you were, you were talking about earlier. It, 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 um, 
it drew people towards my ideology about this rather than pushing them away and, and thinking, having them thinking that I, you know, I was a, you know, a saucer head. It didn't happen that way. I think that was because of my professional background. I, you know, I have a BA in sociology and I'm at an education. And I think most of the people who knew me at the time uh, and still know me realize that I, I'm not someone that's going to, you know, you know, go off the deep end with all this and become a, a crazy weirdo. I'm handling in a professional, profoundly intellectual way in a journalistic sense. And that, that attracts people's attention because it's a matter of credibility. And I always, uh, the number one thing in my profession as a teacher and as an educator and as a, an administrator, what you have to do is you have to establish your own personal credibility. You have to allow people to understand that you're serious about this stuff and that you, you're not going to back off from it and you're not going to force it down their throat, but you're going to say to them, uh, this, this is I with enough credibility and you provide them with enough information. People are drawn towards it rather than running away from it. Uh, so that's the, the other part of it. And the, the, the other thing, the bouncing with family, my, my family is completely understanding about what I've been doing over the past 45 years. Uh, they, they know what I'm into. They, they respect me from that point of view. And the fourth part about this, Jason, is that what other people think of me is none of my business. That's a good, yeah, good way to look at it. <laughs> so that's that's yeah, that's it. That's it in a nutshell, my friend. Yeah. Nice. So you have any books in the works, uh, Victor? Um, no, I haven't. I, I do more writing of of. I spend a lot of time in the press releases and some of the editorials. Um, I, I have a, a book. A book that I've been working on for literally 12 years now. Um, and it, it is, it is, I really don't want to get into it right now, but there is something that I'm hopefully planning to, to uh, sit down and really kind of, like you said earlier, take the time other than my investigations, my, my journalism and all that, and sit down and complete this thing because I, I've got the idea in mind and it, it could be um, a very earth shattering kind of perspective on the abortion issue. And uh, with a whole new perspective on what that issue is all about, so um, I don't I don't want to reveal it just yet because it's uh, it's something that I, I hold very close uh, right now at this point in time. But once uh, all of the chapters are done, I'm, I'm hoping that I, I can release it and uh, it could become uh, the kind of work that I want it to be. Uh, so yeah, so in answer to your question, yes, there is, but uh, I'm going to hold back on talking too much more about it at this point in time. J.R.R. Tolkien took 12 years to write The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> That's right. All right, so this yeah. better be a thick book. <laughs> well, it, it's uh, I've run the idea, the idea by um, a couple of very, very close friends, and they're saying, my goodness, it's it's the thought that's never been thought before. Let's just put it that way. It's just something that uh, uh, I've never heard anyone, anyone in any of the contactees or any of the investigators that I've ever spoken to researchers and other authors and other kinds of ways ever even address the issue uh, uh, the way I'm addressing uh, um, this extraterrestrial issue with respect to the, to, to the, uh, to the abortion issue. So it's a, a two-fisted kind of thing. So maybe one day we can, we can, uh, uh, yes, I do, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to be cryptic about that. I hate it when people are so cryptic about it, but I, if, if I say anything about it right now, I don't, I, I don't want to, um, Kind of, but maybe we can um, re release it on your show. I don't know. We can see. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, anytime yeah. you write a book, you want to come on and talk about it, you're sure. always welcome to. Yeah. And I know that August 21st, I do believe there's a, a press conference that's already taken place, uh, or they're going to be taking place in Toronto, Vancouver. I think it's worldwide, actually, this right. uh, yep. press mm-hmm. conference. And you're you're helping that uh, that's out correct. as well. Yeah. Is, yeah. It, you're in a Toronto area, you're going to be helping out, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I'm sort of a representative. Um, I'll be I'll be speaking at the conference. Yeah, one of one of the many many speakers are going to be there. Yeah, nice. I'll be at the Vancouver one taking pictures. I think sure, that's sure. that's my job for the day. Yeah. I think was just Great. taking pictures. So, I thank you so much for your time on the show. Um, you're a person that I know I could definitely have on again and probably talk sure. easily another two hours, no oh, problem. Sure. No, I'm just saying. No, that Chrissy, Chrissy, and I have had a lot of communication about this over the years. And, um, you know, she, she's a great person to, to have on your side with uh, a, a different kind of uh, perspective on things with respect to the generation that she represents. And that's the other, the other part of what really is interesting about what we're doing right now is that I've done this historically, you know, and my background covers you know, 45 years. Uh, Chrissy is relatively new to this, but she's so intensely uh, engrossed in it. And she's doing so many great things with respect to getting the news out to 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 the uh, to the generation that she represents as, as a young person. And that's the next thing that has to happen is these the young people that are really thoroughly involved in this have to kind of step up and, and eventually take my place uh, and all the other um, you know, the graybacks that have been involved in this for the, for, the, for the number of years they have. Nicely said, sir. Well, thank you so much for your time. Okay, take care now. Bye now.